Hello, and thank you for listening to Art History at Bedtime. My name is Bendel Grosvenor. This story is the life of the Florentine painter Giotto, who was born in circa 1267 and died in 1337. It was published in 1568 by Giorgio Vasari as part of his Lives of the Eminent Painters, Sculptors and Architects. This translation is by Elizabeth Foster and was published in 1888. The gratitude which masters in painting owe to nature is due, in my judgment, to the Florentine painter Giotto, seeing that he alone, although born amidst incapable artists, and at a time when all good methods in art had long been entombed beneath the ruins of war, yet by the favour of heaven he, I say alone, succeeded in resuscitating art and restoring her to a path that may be called the true one. And it was in truth a great marvel that from so rude and inept an age Giotto should have the strength to elicit so much that the art of design, of which the men of those days had little if any knowledge, was by his means effectually recalled into life. The birth of this great man took place in the hamlet of Vespignano, fourteen miles from the city of Florence, in the year 1276. His father's name was Bondone, a simple husbandman who reared the child, to whom he had given the name of Giotto with such decency as his condition permitted. The boy was remarked early for extreme vivacity in all his childish proceedings, and for extraordinary promptitude of intelligence, so that he became endeared not only to his father, but to all who knew him in the village and around it. When he was about ten years old, Bondoni gave him a few sheep to watch, and with these he wandered about the vicinity, now here and now there. But induced by nature herself to the arts of design, he was perpetually drawing on the stones, the earth, or the sand, some natural object that came before him, or some fantasy that presented itself to his thoughts. It chanced that one day the affairs of Cimabue took him from Florence to Vespignano, when he perceived the young Giotto, who, while his sheep fed around him, was occupied in drawing one of them from the life with the stone slightly pointed upon a smooth, clean piece of rock, and that without any teaching whatever, but such as nature herself had imparted. Halting in astonishment, Chimabue inquired of the boy if he would accompany him to his house, and the child replied he would go willingly if his father were content to permit it. Chimabue, therefore requesting the consent of Bondoni, the latter granted it readily, and suffered the artist to conduct his son to Florence, where, in a short time, instructed by Cimabue and aided by nature, the boy not only equalled his master in his own manner, but became so good an imitator of nature that he totally banished the rude Greek manner, restoring art to the better path adhered to in modern times, and introducing the custom of accurately drawing living persons from nature, which had not been used for more than two hundred years. Or, if some had attempted it, as said above, it was not by any means with the success of Giotto. 
The first pictures of Giotto were painted for the chapel of the High Altar in the Abbey of Florence, where he executed many works considered extremely fine. Among these, an Annunciation is particularly admired. The expression of fear and astonishment in the countenance of the Virgin, when receiving the salutation of Gabriel, is vividly depicted. She appears to suffer the extremity of terror, and seems almost ready to take flight. The altarpiece of that chapel is also by Giotto, but this has been and continues to be preserved, rather from the respect felt for the work of so distinguished a man than from any other motive. There are four chapels in Santa Croce also painted by Giotto, three between the sacristy and the principal chapel, and one on the opposite side of the church. In the first of the three, which belongs to Messer Ridolfo de Bardi, and wherein are the bell ropes, is the life of St. Francis. In this picture are several figures of monks lamenting the death of the saint. The expression of weeping is very natural. In the same church, and in the chapel of the Baroncelli family, is a picture in distemper by the hand of Giotto. It represents the coronation of a virgin, with a great number of small figures, and a choir of saints and angels very carefully finished. On this work, the name of the master and the date are written in letters of gold. Artists who reflect on the period at which Giotto, without any light to guide him towards better methods, could make so happy a commencement, whether as respects design or colouring, will be compelled to regard him with great respect and admiration. There are, moreover, in the same church of Santa Croce, and above the marble tomb of Carlo Marsupini of Arezzo, a crucifix, a figure of the Virgin, a St. John and the Magdalene at the foot of the cross, all by the hand of Giotto. And on the other side of the church, exactly opposite to the latter, and above the burial place of Leonardo Aretino, is an Annunciation, near the high altar, which has been restored with very little judgment by the hand of some modern painter. A great discredit, to those who had custody of these works. After these works were finished, Giotto departed from Florence and went to Assisi to complete the paintings commenced by Cimabue. Passing through Arezzo, he painted one of the chapels of the Capitular Church, that of St. Francis, which is above the baptistry on a round column, which stands beside a very beautiful antique Corinthian chapel. There are portraits of St. Francis and St. Dominic by his hand, both taken from nature. In the cathedral without Arezzo, he further executed the martyrdom of St. Stephen in one of the larger chapels, of which the composition is fine. Having finished these things, he proceeded to Assisi, a city of Umbria, being invited thither by Fra Giovanni of Muro in the march, who was then general of the fraternity of St. Francis. Here, in the upper church and under the corridor which traverses the windows, he painted a series of thirty-two frescoes representing passages from the life and acts of the saint, namely sixteen on each side, a work which he executed so perfectly as to acquire great fame from it. And of a truth, there is singular variety in these frescoes, not only in the gestures and attitudes of each figure, but also in the composition of all the stories. The different costumes of those times are also represented, 
and in all the accessories nature is most faithfully adhered to. Among other figures, that of a thirsty man stooping to drink from a fountain is worthy of perpetual praise. When Giotto had at length completed this St. Francis, he returned to Florence, where immediately after his arrival he painted a picture to be sent to Pisa. This is also a St. Francis, standing on the frightful rocks of Laverna, and is finished with extraordinary care. It exhibits a landscape with many trees and precipices, which was a new thing in those times. In the attitude and expression of St. Francis, who is on his knees receiving the stigmata, the most eager desire to obtain them is clearly manifest, as well as infinite love towards Jesus Christ, who, from heaven above, where he is surrounded by the seraphim, grants these stigmata to his servant with looks of such lively affection that it is not possible to conceive anything more perfect. Beneath this picture are three others, also from the life of St. Francis, and very beautiful. The picture of the stigmata just described is still in the church of San Fresco in Pisa, close beside the high altar. It is held in great veneration for the sake of the master, and calls the Pisans to entrust him with the decoration of their Campo Santo. The edifice was scarcely completed from the design of Giovanni Pisano, when Giotto was invited to paint a portion of the internal walls. This magnificent fabric, being encrusted externally with rich marbles and sculpture, executed at immense cost, the roof covered with lead and the interior filled with antique monuments and sepulchral urns of pagan times, brought to Pisa from all parts of the world, and it was determined that the inner walls should be adorned with the noblest paintings. To that end, Giotto repaired to Pisa, and on one of the walls of the Campo Santo he painted the history of Job in six large frescoes. But, as he judiciously reflected, that the marble of that part of the building where he went to work being turned towards the sea and exposed to the southeast winds was always humid and gave out a certain saline moisture, as do nearly all the bricks of Pisa, which fades and corrodes the colours of the pictures, so he caused a coating or intonaco to be made for every part, whereon he proposed to paint in fresco, that his work might be preserved as long as possible. This intonaco was composed of lime, chalk, and powdered bricks, all so well mingled together that the paintings which he afterwards executed on the surface, thus prepared, remain in tolerable preservation to this day. They might even have been in much better condition if the neglect of those who ought to have taken care of them had not suffered them to sustain injury from the damp. But this not having been guarded against, as it might easily have been, has caused some of the paintings to be spoiled in certain places, the flesh tints having become blackened and the plaster fallen off. It is besides the nature of chalk when mingled with lime to become corroded and peel off with time when it inevitably ruins the colours, although at first it seems to bind and secure them. The figures of these paintings, and the heads, those of the men as well as the women, are exceedingly beautiful. The draperies are also painted with infinite grace, nor is it at all surprising that this work acquired so much fame for its author as to induce Pope Benedict the Ninth to send one of his courtiers from Treviso to Tuscany, for the purpose of ascertaining what kind of man Giotto might be, and what were his works. That pontiff then proposing to have certain paintings executed in the church of St. Peter, 
The messenger went on his way to visit Giotto and to inquire what other good masters there were in Florence, spoke first with many artists in Siena. Then, having received designs from them, he proceeded to Florence and repaired one morning to the workshop where Giotto was occupied with his labours. He declared the purpose of the Pope and the manner in which the pontiff described to avail himself of assistance, and finally requested to have a drawing that he might send it to his holiness. Giotto, who was very courteous, took a sheet of paper and a pencil dipped in a red colour. Then, resting his elbow on his side to form a sort of compass, with one turn of the hand he drew a circle so perfect and exact that it was a marvel to behold. This done, he turned, smiling to the courtier, saying, Here is your drawing. Am I to have nothing more than this? inquired the latter, conceiving himself to be jested with. That is enough and to spare, returned Giotto. Send it with the rest, and you will see if it will be recognised. The messenger, unable to obtain anything more, went away very ill-satisfied, and fearing that he had been fooled. Nevertheless, having dispatched the other drawings to the Pope, with the names of those who had done them, he sent that of Giotto also, relating the mode in which he had made his circle, without moving his arm and without compasses, from which the Pope, and such of the courtiers as were well versed in the subject, perceived how far Giotto surpassed all the other painters of his time. Giotto was then invited by the above-named Pope, where his talents were at once appreciated by that pontiff, and himself treated very honourably. He was instantly appointed to paint a large picture in the sacristy of St. Peter's, with five others in the church itself, these last being passages from the life of Christ, all which he executed with so much care that no better work in distemper ever proceeded from his hands, so that he well deserved the reward of six hundred gold ducats, which the Pope, considering himself well served, commanded to be paid him. The Pope, having seen these works at Giotto, whose manner pleased him infinitely, commanded that he should paint subjects from the Old and New Testaments entirely around the wall of St. Peter's, and for a commencement the artist executed in fresco the angel, seven braccia high, which is now over the organ. This was followed by many other pictures, of which some have been restored in our own days, while more have either been destroyed in laying the foundations of the new walls, or have been taken from the old edifice of St. Peter's and set under the organ, as is the case with the Madonna, which was cut out of the wall that it might not be totally destroyed, and was thus carried away and secured for its beauty. The return of Giotto to Florence took place in the year 1316, but he was not long permitted to remain in that city, being invited to Padua by the Signore della Scala, for whom he painted a most magnificent chapel in the Santo, a church just then erected. Some time after this, and when Giotto had returned to Florence, Robert, King of Naples, wrote to his eldest son Charles, King of Calabria, who was then in Florence, desiring that he would by all means send Giotto to him at Naples, there, Giotto executed many works in the Castel del Luovo, particularly in the chapel, which greatly pleased the king, by whom Giotto was indeed so much beloved, that while at his work he was frequently held in conversation by that monarch, who took pleasure in watching the progress of his labours and in hearing his remarks. Now, Giotto always had a jest ready, and was never at a loss for a witty reply, 
so that he amused the king with his hand while he painted, and also by the acuteness of his pleasant conversation. Thus, one day, the king telling him that he would make him the first man in Naples, Giotto replied that he already was the first man in Naples, for to that end it is that I dwell at the Porta Reale, where the first houses of the city stand. Another time the king saying to him, Giotto, if I were in your place, now that it is so hot, I would give up painting for a time and take my rest. And so would I do, certainly, replied Giotto, if I were in your place. Giotto, being thus so acceptable to King Robert, was employed by him to execute numerous paintings in a hall, which King Alfonso afterwards destroyed to make a room for the castle. One day the king, desiring to amuse himself, requested Giotto to depict his kingdom, when the painter, it is said, drew an ass bearing a pack-saddle loaded with a crown and scepter, while a similar saddle lay at his feet, also bearing the ensigns of sovereignty. These last were all new, and the ass scented them with an expression of desire to change them for those he then bore. The king inquired what this picture might signify, when Giotto replied, Such is the kingdom, and such the subjects, who are every day desiring a new lord. Leaving Naples to proceed to Rome, Giotto was detained at Gaeta, where he was persuaded to paint certain subjects from the New Testament for the Church of the Annunciation. These works are now greatly injured by time, but not to such a degree as to prevent us from clearly distinguishing the portrait of Giotto himself, which will be found near a large and very beautiful crucifix. After completing these works, and on the 9th of July 1334, Giotto commenced the Campanile of Santa Maria del Fiore. The foundations were laid on massive stone, sunk twenty braccia beneath the surface, on a site whence gravel and water had previously been excavated. Then, having made a good concrete to the height of twelve braccia, he caused the remainder, namely eight braccia, to be formed of masonry. The bishop of the city, with all the clergy and magistrates, were present at the foundation. This campanile, according to the design of Giotto, was to have been crowned by a spire or pyramid of the height of fifty braccia. But as this was in the old Gothic manner, the modern architects have always advised its omission, the building appearing to them to be better as it is. For all these works, Giotto was not only made a citizen of Florence, but also received a pension of a hundred golden florins yearly, a large sum in those times, from the commune of Florence. Finally, and no long time after he had returned from Milan, having passed his life in the production of so many admirable works, and proved himself a good Christian as well as excellent painter, Giotto resigned his soul to God in the year 1336 not only to the great regret of his fellow citizens, but of all who had known him or even heard his name. Giotto was buried in Santa Maria del Fiore, where an inscription of white marble to the memory of this great man was placed on the wall to the left of the entrance. The commentator of Dante, who was contemporary with Giotto, has spoken of him as we have related in the life of Cimabue in the following words. Giotto was and is the most eminent of all the painters in the city of Florence, and to this his works bear testimony in Rome, Naples, Avignon, Florence, Padua, 
and many other parts of the world. If you have enjoyed these podcasts, please consider making a donation to Art History Linkup, the charity which teaches the history of art to state school children in the UK. Art History Linkup is continuing its classes online during the pandemic, but would benefit from all our help. Donation details can be found on their website, arthistorylinkup.org. Thank you.